We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on whose land this podcast was produced and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We would also like to acknowledge the commitment and sacrifice of First Nations people in the preservation of country and culture. This was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back for another episode of Creative Responders in Conversation, our monthly interview series where we hear from people on the front lines of the arts and disaster management sector as they prepare, respond and recover from disaster. Today's guest is Melissa Lubke. Melissa is an artist and she's also currently undertaking her Masters in Art Therapy at MyCat. I first became aware of Melissa's work through her striking installation project called The Lacrimatory which is a kind of experiential grieving booth. So I was really thrilled to have the chance to hear more about the process behind that work and Melissa's other projects as an artist working with communities around themes of loss and grief. Melissa has been so generous to share her personal story with us in this episode and it was a real pleasure to hear how her work and her evolution as an artist balances the individual and the collective so very powerfully. Please enjoy my conversation with creative responder, Melissa Lubke. So welcome, Melissa. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Scotia. It's marvellous to be here. Thank you. I'm uh, speaking from the lands of the Yarra Turuwa people here in Mianjin, Brisbane. Where are you today? Uh, I am from Kanamaluka, which is in the West Tamar of Launceston in La Trubita, Tasmania. Mm, crisp today. Yeah, the sun's poking through, but it's 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 raining and and cold, but I love it. <laughs> Beautiful country. <laughs> Melissa, as you know, I became aware of your work through uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours and was particularly um, very interested in the powerful community focus of the arts projects that you've been working on in recent years. And we'll talk about a few of them later on, but uh, um, I know you've had a long career as a graphic designer and worked in many creative fields. It's only in recent years that you've come to identify yourself as an artist, which is a kind of interesting sensibility of self that is often common in a lot of people. But this transformation for you seems to have come through from very big life changes and deep personal tragedies. And I'm wondering if you might be comfortable to share a bit about that transformational process for you and how arts has supported you to find meaning in this challenging time like all times of challenging but we're we're in a kind of space of compounding impacts at the moment aren't we socially as well as individually mm. yeah it's been a, a bit of a journey yeah I, um, as you said I have been in um, more of a corporate world advertising and marketing and doing graphic design work and working for myself um, so always been creative but yeah I guess um to really instill this sense of um, identity as an artist um, and being confident to say, yes, I'm a practising artist, has come from tragedy, really, through my life. So when uh, I, I, I had a career in Sydney and came over to Tasmania, um, really, I guess, to find a grounding again, I lost my way a little and um, I came to want to be an artist and... Um, did some youth work as well and uh, did some exploring some different materials that I, I really enjoyed doing, like glass. What do you mean by you came to want to be an artist? What was calling you? I think what I wanted to do is get away from the computer. Mm. Um, my life was 
revolving around sitting at a computer and um, the creative process, what I really enjoyed. Um, so I wanted to use my hands again. And so glass was one of those mediums that was so, I was so curious, it was so mysterious. And um, uh, yeah, so Tasmania was um, the place where um, I came to learn about it more. Uh, my brother was actually a neon uh, is a neon bender so I thought oh, um, I might learn a little bit from him um, but that didn't really happen but it took me on a different journey of youth work and um, and learning my own glass practice warm glass through um, the university here and I ended up being in a uh, community called Poetina, which was a place where they did actually do blown glass as well. So I wanted to learn a bit of that. That didn't happen either. So it, it, each time I sort of think I wanted to go a particular direction, it sort of took me in another direction. That's lovely. Um, they have an arts community there, arts colony, and I learned to sort of um, be a little bit more um, comfortable with the idea that I'm an artist, I'm still um, trying to find my way. I was volunteering. It's a, basically a, um, a youth organisation that helped young people and I was volunteering for that year, just giving my what I could to the, um, the work, graphic design work and things. But it, wasn't, it was around about that time that I met my husband um, outside of that area and um, he was on a bit of a fork in the road with his life as well. So met him and it was lovely and uh, we got married soon after and started having kids and found a property. Um, he wanted to go back to his farming roots, so we got a property and started to develop that property as well. Um, and I was pregnant with our third child and, and it was about that time when he tragically had a motorbike accident on the road. And so um, we were, well, myself and my boys were at a bit of a... Um, another fork in the road <laughs> a bit of a curve in the road I guess and um, uh, so I was only about 10 weeks pregnant I think when it happened so 10 and a half or so so um, he knew that we were pregnant which is like wonderful um, but um, I needed to tell the rest of our friends and family and because um, we'd had some miscarriages before that so um, very conscious of not um advertising it too soon so yeah it was a bit of a culmination of um a lot of emotions in one so trying to take care of my own body and at the same time um, wanting to know where he was at and um he, unfortunately he didn't last the night and um so we had to say goodbye to him in the morning so that was you know a, a moment of what's next he was my grounding space i guess um he was my muse he kept my feet level um, so I think I needed to get in touch with him as any way I could um, through that uh, shock. So I took a couple of days before I went back home, um, was staying with friends, and then luckily, beautifully, my children were looked after. They were four and six at the time. Um, and when I finally was brave enough to go back to the farm, uh, I said to my father who he was, he came up, mum and dad came up to stay and look after the kids as well. And I said, can you please teach me how to use his angle grinder, please? Um, <laughs> which was kind of a strange thing to say when <laughs> you've got a funeral to organise. Um, 
but we're in the process of preparing the farm for a place for people to come um, do creative work. It's about basically a retreat, um, enjoy the fruits of their labour. We were going to have sort of community on that place and um, he and I were doing up uh, like a workman's hut um, and it was covered in uh, rusty metal and it was full of junk uh, from the previous owners and that idea of renovating this space was really exciting that we could work on something together. We didn't often have a lot of time together because he was working full-time in his uh, day job and then he'd come home and get the farm happening. So I was looking after children and most of the time. So to work together on that was really precious. But um, So the angle grinder, I wanted to cut up the pieces of metal that were shedded off that um, workman's hut. There's something very beautiful about that instant outcome of activity like that, having the saw in your hand and seeing the kind of mm-hmm. control and capacity to have action. There, There is something around that process of making that is very functional about finding hooks or stability in, in a place which is very mm-hmm. um, loose and <laughs> unconnected. Yeah, and particularly his tools. The tools were his... Uh, for me, they were a symbol of his providing for us. And there was that element of what, how are we going to survive now? We haven't got um, someone bringing in the money. We have, and the tools were precious. They were the, his good tools. Um, we weren't really, I felt a little bit sort of cheeky using them because, you know, I, I, that we, his precious tools, they were good ones. Um, but also his hands, I, you know, I, I, I can't, forget his hands his strong hands that held us um and his hands were all over those tools and like it almost like I was holding his hands again um so to use that um angle grinder to cut some metal and dad teaching me you know it was a beautiful moment of connection with him too he was he was just dumbfounded he said he's left you with a lot of work honey and I said well no I think he's left us with a lot of work you know um Mm we're going to do this together. Um, so not knowing how to manage what was become of this farm. So that was a, a instant working of, I wanted to enter the Glover Prize at the time and whether it was going to get in or not, it didn't matter. It was a deadline for me and the deadline was in the next couple of weeks. So even though I had a funeral to, to, to organise with all my friends and family, um, this was really important to, to get out. Um, this process and so what we ended up it ended up being uh, a memory of the last moment the joyous moment we had we went up to the Bay of Fires and I can't remember even having a swim with him in the time that we were married because we had the children and um, beautifully it was a moment where we were duck diving in this um, water it's not not often that we could get actually fully immersed in water without a wetsuit um, and this was a particular time so it was a magic moment and I just this memory of him just duck diving underneath the waves and um, I really wanted to solidify that um, using materials that we were working with um, and so I actually hadn't done a lot of art um, in the time that we were married um, there wasn't time really so it was just so precious you know that his tragedy gave me that time people I was people were out there ready to help and say what can we do so it allowed me that space I think our community is so important through tragedy to be able to see one's needs and um, for me to actually verbalize actually I need to do this 
um, do you mind if you can watch the kids? I could actually say yes. I find it very hard to actually ask for help. But in that moment, in those probably for a good six months, I was able to just say, I'm able to do this, I'm allowed to. Um, So giving myself permission to say I'm an artist. um, That's extraordinary, isn't it, that process of self-permission? That's right. Yep. Such a yep. holder yep. and a, a um, such a blockage, really, for so many mm. of us. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And um, why? Why do we give ourselves that sort of? Um, uh, yeah. Why do we put that barrier? Um, so, you know, I'm grateful. Uh, of course, I would would want him back in in an instant. Um, but I'm super grateful for the the opportunities that has come, you know, from um, beauty from the ashes. Um, And a lot of my work now is to um, help others to, to see that, yes, there sometimes life throws you a curveball. But how can we see the beauty in this? Not, not just constantly looking and, you know, on the, on the positive all the time. Everything's fine. Everything's Rose fine. Rose coloured glasses. <laughs> That's right. And the, and then I, I worked on an, an exhibition based on that and it was mm. called Confronting the Negative because I was a little bit like, it's fine, mm. you know, because I was fine. I was fine. I have my face and that was holding me. Um, but I was aware that there was some hard stuff that I needed to just look at and that was uh, looking in Minnie's eyes again and um, one of those works was Rays of Light and I needed to just uh, do a portrait of him and just look at him again. And um, I was staring at his face of a photo and just really bringing in those memories. So I was looking in his eyes and um, really reconnecting. And that was hard, you know. Um, And I felt to just um, dribble paint on a... Dribble the paint we usually use for renovating typical house white paint um and dribbling it and dribbling it until you know he appeared and then I really felt for me it's the Holy Spirit um that's my faith um just telling me to just keep going and obliterate the the board and ah that moment of but it was looking really good (laughs) but this sense of letting go just letting go and uh obliterating it and it was just covered and covered and covered and um it was a it was a beautiful process of just letting go and I thought okay well (laughs) is that it you know and I really felt saying just let it dry and I'll show you tomorrow and and beautifully it dried and once again I got his tools out and I started drilling drilling the the portrait again and he arrived again this sense of yay I see you but it wasn't the same form it was this almost decaying form um uh, but as I was drilling and then I pulled it up to the light and the light was coming through, oh, my goodness, you know, these stars, these shining stars, you know, this beautiful process and therapy that I was giving myself of um, letting him come, let him go, let him come, let him go um, and being okay with it um, and, um, okay, that grief is never going to go away but working through that and I thought, um, wow. And then looking at the the shavings that were left on the floor afterwards, you know, the drill sawdust and and the per- you know, to be able to do that, there was a young girl, young teenager that I never would have thought um, would have been 
the person to care for my kids, but she said, can I help? Can I look after the baby? You know, um, (laughs) making me tear up now because, you know, new growth everywhere, everywhere. You know, and she found her place and she ended up, uh, you know, that took her on a direction, you know. Um, The baby at that stage, Jonathan, um, was probably so maybe he's breastfeeding age, so probably six months or so, a bit longer. Um, so, you know, the connection between us two was just gorgeous. Um, mm, well, giving over and giving space for a relationship opens up so many opportunities, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And and so people can know how to help, you know. How how can I help? And that's really hard sometimes when you're in a hole. You know, I get in a hole a lot and I, I don't know. I, my brain is so... My mind is so foggy, I can't work out how. Can you just work it out for me, mm. you know? But those moments were just, you know, the, the clearing of the fog was just so precious of um, people recognising. Um, but I think, you know, what it was is they were recognising in themselves what they could actually do. Mm. Um, yeah, there's something that. about yeah. that sense when a trauma is individual comparatively to... A community trauma and both have a similar process and that idea of finding mm. your space again or being able to come through with some clarity yes, about so. where you sit. So one of your projects that was really born out of this time and I think beautifully explores that process of grieving and it's a kind of powerful work because it connects the individual grief to a broader community grieving. Um, could you tell us about the Lacrimatory project and how you came up with the idea and what form it, it kind of took in its first iteration? So when I was working through um, my grief through little projects, um, when time gave there was time, um, I had the opportunity to put it together into an exhibition and um, I really felt, and I was doing all this, uh, putting all the pieces together, um, I thought there's something else. It needs to be a participatory experience. It's not just about my grief. This is about grief in general and I really, a lot of my heart anyway has always been to to be there for others. I wanted to really find and work on this uh, installation that could, when they're in that space of sharing my grief, it inherently, it's like going to a funeral. It brings up feelings of your own experiences. It may be about that person's funeral, but it, it inherently just gives you memories of your own uh, grief as well. And, it felt like, uh, yeah, it was quite a. Um, it was almost like a funeral space in a sense. It was it was joyous space, but so I started working on the idea of when come, people come in, how can they share their grief in a private way, uh, so that they're left with a little bit of hope, um, rather than just feeling sad. And I partnered with a grief. A therapist actually who does writing as her way to help people uh, she's a writer so I said oh could you uh, could we work as and have workshops at the end of this as well but I wanted to include writing somehow so um, I was wrestling with ideas and 
my crying and just trying to convey this idea of when I was in the hospital giving birth to Jonathan. It was the same, on the same floor, you know, metres away from where I had to say goodbye to John, to Andrew in the ICU. Um, and the, the hospital curtains in particular were this sense of um, a symbol of uh, farewell as well as welcoming, I guess. Um, I was really in touch with my body at that stage. I'd done a course called Calm Birth with someone who was, uh, gave me some time to uh, work through um, the emotions that I had while being pregnant and really grateful for that. So um, I said to her, and she knew what I was talking about, I said, can I cry now? Um, because we're working on the relaxation response. But what I found was I was connecting with the emotion in me and the I just cried and it wasn't, it was a joyous cry more so than a, 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 a wail. Um, and it brought the baby on like that. <laughs> like I just needed to let it out. And I thought, wow, tears, you know, how our body is connected with our, um, our spiritual state, our physical state, um, our mind state. And so I let it all out and it was just this beautiful moment because uh, this sense of um, release. So I really wanted to convey this sense of um, the, the tears and how do we, how, you know, tears I think in my, my growing up were possibly held back, um, you know, oh, it's okay, it's okay, you know, and to move on. Um, but I really was connected with no, let the tears come. And I thought, I wonder how many other people are in that, um, grown up in that sort of attitude of um, she'll be right, just just get over it. And um, I thought, no, I'm going to let these tears come. Yeah, so to con- try and convey all this, all this stuff that was circling in my head, how can I convey this visually and experientially for other people to understand? When people would say, how are you? <laughs> you answer that question you know in a short answer so I wanted people to experience it this is how I am um so I created this I guess it's kind of like a grieving booth called the lacrimatory and uh it was kind of like a shower cubicle you know a little bit Alice in Wonderland with a tiny toilet roll but a large shower head you know this kind of um out of body kind of experience where you walk in and when you sit down and 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 say yes I'm going to face this then the lights come on and it lights up these giant teardrops which are glass teardrops and they listen to a monologue of mine about my experience and they are to respond if they feel they want to respond and by unrolling the scroll um which is a mini toilet roll and writing on this scroll and whatever comes to them and to put it into the tears and um no one needs to see it it's it's their precious they've let it something out and um yeah so I really felt responsible for these tears as it sort of um gathered I took it to a exhibition we put on an exhibition during the dark mofo festival in Hobart in a big cathedral we wanted to just offer some more light in that and you know people wandering around the city and experiencing 
well, we felt it was quite a heavy load and I thought, no, there's so much more hope in amongst all this. So um, it was beautiful. People would wander in to this giant cathedral and be in that sense of reflection and wonder and um, and then they'd come across my lacrimatory um, and be curious and I would welcome them and say, would you like to step in? And, and they would sometimes stay in there for a long time mm-hmm. uh, one man in particular um, went in there and I thought uh oh <laughs> he was quite old I thought uh oh <laughs> is he okay and I felt like wanting to knock on the on the frame but I thought no this is his time and he came out and he said that was extraordinary <laughs> and I I gathered and we just had us a chat and he said I'm a GP and he was an old man he's a GP he said oh I experience a lot of grief in my in my work and um, what you've created needs to be out there and participated with. And so it gave me a lot of confidence that it could tour and it had a place. Yeah, we don't give ourselves times to sit with it really. We're always told to move on, aren't we, that we can't Mm. sit and breathe in that space, which is beautiful unto itself. In this Western society particularly. Mm. You know, we need to get back to work. Mm. It's maybe it comes down to money. We can't take time off work. It's going to um, it's going to cause too much chaos. There was that time at the hospital. We had to we had to I had to leave, and you know, there's this pressure of saying goodbye. And my pastor at the time was sitting next to me. She said, "This is going to be the hardest walk of your life." And I compare it to, you know, it's almost the opposite end of walking down the aisle with my husband. You know, I had to walk away because the autopsy needed to be done and photographs needed to be taken. And um, so there was that pressure. They said you could take any t- as much time as you like, but I knew that they, I couldn't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there was that element of um, having to say goodbye. And it's a shame that people have to, to be rushed into that. Um, so I realised I had to... Um, I didn't have to, but I realised I wanted to at least take it back to my husband's um, homeland, back into a place called Henty in the near Albury, New South Wales. Um, and um, there's a lot of drought there, um, and there's a lot of tragedy. There's some, some nasty suicides and things that have been happening over that area. That's where I heard about the work, actually, because we were doing a lot of kind of work with drought communities and it was such a... I was drawn to the particular image of it sitting out there in the field and this sense of small holding within such a big open space Mm. and this idea of a tiny drop in a very big picture, Mm. like in in the work itself. It's that little teardrop, but that can uh, impact so greatly. It's such a beautiful place for it to sit mm. how, how was it um engaged within that context yeah um well that was on his family farm when I took some photos as well I wanted it was where he grew up um so it was precious in itself to go back to stay in the house that he grew up in as a little tiny boy it was still in the family which is great so I was able to revisit family which I hadn't met before which is lovely um, but it's that sense of how uh, our experience can be shared collectively, which I think is so beautifully held within your mm. within that work. Like, how can we, mm. how can we as a community recognise and kind of give give time, but also to um, 
what's the word? It's a kind of an acknowledgement process, isn't it, that we have this shared process mm. of grieving. We do it differently and the same time we do it collectively. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And I think and that's what I wanted to really um, give to the community a sense of um, here's an opportunity if you would like to grieve in a way that, you you know, together. I, I'm aware that um, rural communities are very different to city communities um, and they, they're very good in, in a sense of getting together. You know, they can do a good shindig. Um, <laughs> and Hindi in particular, I was really impressed with their community spirit. Um, and I was a little bit conscious of, is this too contemporary? Um, was it going to be understood? Um, well, grief is a very part of our human nature isn't it? there's a commonality in that so understood yeah. because we all experience yeah. it and I think I just wanted to get people or want to help people to get to that state of it's okay to grieve it's a private space in a public space um, and uh, you know we don't have rituals of grieving mm-hmm. collectively in the communities that currently in our society really it's not given a space apart from a funeral but mm-hmm. you know when we think about um, yeah. disasters that are hitting our communities you know where is the ritualizing or the celebration or the processing of that grieving collectively it's a kind of I think a really important role that we as creatives or the space of culture mm-hmm. and in, uh, creative processes can really support that collective grieving like that's what your work does mm-hmm. it brings us around a very sim- simple but maybe symbolic but uh, holding space to be able to have that ritual of grieving acknowledged. Mm, I think so. Almost like a walk, you know, we can um, all walk together. We all have our own walk, but let's walk together. And um, funnily enough, I did also have it at the Suicide Awareness Walk in Burnie and they do a, they do a long walk and I had it there at the end for people to, you know, come to a bit of a, a resting place. Um, yeah, I I totally agree. I think wh- wh- why have we lost it? Are we too s- trying to put a stiff up the lip so that we can uh, move on? Um, you know, why why are we why is it seen as a weakness when in actual fact it so much makes us stronger? I am so much mm. more stronger through it all. Um, my family in particular. My mother, mum's still trying to grasp this idea of crying and 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 grieving she does she said oh do you think you should move on from the from the grieving thing in your arts and I I understood what you know it was uncomfortable for her you know and she didn't want me to stay in a in a state of sadness but I don't think she fully understands that it's there's a joy in that sadness as well Mm. um so it's it that's just family of origin stuff I'm sure that is being projected onto her and then onto me. So I'm glad that I can rise above it and um, and let you know pass it on to my boys that it's okay. Um, we can be, we can bring up the sad stuff again. It's hard, but find the right space to do it. You know, um, you know, often that and acknowledge it's part of our skin, isn't it? It's part of our skin, our mm. experience of life. Yeah, I mean. Doesn't have to be a death. <laughs> yeah, but it's also grieving the things that are important to us. You know, you grieve because something has value in your life. So, mm-hmm. if we think about it in the context of 
the communities in drought or the communities impacted with floods here at the moment. You know, we're mm. grieving loss. We're grieving loss of the landscape and the things that we held that we thought were solid. Yep. <laughs> that notion of safety and That's sense right. of predictability and all those things mm. which we take for granted until they're shaken up. That's right. It's almost like stepping onto a boat that's, um, you know, with your eyes closed and it's shaky. And, um, mm. yes, you may be in a boat, <laughs> but that world is uh, not keeping you very stable. And uh, how mm. can you find that stability um, within that? Yeah, so sharing this process is a kind of participatory way of opening up these conversations in community. We'll go back to what you were talking about earlier, your Ray of Light, mm. your Rays of Light project. That was done in partnership with Men's Shed, wasn't it? Can you tell us a bit about that, how that came about? When I went, to, I thought, well, I want to take this reclamatory back to his hometown. I got in contact with the Health Advisory Committee and they said, oh, we've got a grant to help with mental health. And I said, okay, well, why don't we explore how we can make use of my time there? And I asked, you know, where, where are these? Where are this, um, the weak, the uh, weak points? Where, where, what's getting missed? Who's getting missed? Um, and uh, the farmers, the the men that are holding the the stock, the men that are. Um, holding their families and the pressure. So I said, well, I guess can we can we do something with the men's shed there? And that was um, very much uh, taken up. And so I thought, well, I've experienced my husband's tools in a way that I never thought I would. I wonder if there's other people in the community that have not even uh, touched a tool or um, understand what the men's shed do. And so I really wanted to have this um, interconnected community conversation. So um, invite, see see whether other people could come into the men's shed as well in conjunction with the men that are already there. And there was a lot of grief there. There was wives that have passed away. There was um, farms that have been lost. There was babies that have been lost. Um, and I took the rays of light concept and invited people to send me photos of their loved ones or things that they've lost and I would um, create a bit of a template for them. I mean, I could, I can drill free freestyle, um, but I'm aware that um, that's a, a skill and a gift that I've been given. Um, so to help these people, I was basically a bit of a template of the, and they were to drill it on a communal uh, sheet of metal, um, drill their loved one, faces into this sheet of metal and it would become a, a community installation in the town and just the coming together I think was special in itself that they had people in there that probably had never set foot in the men's shed before even though they knew it was around um, they had little ones and they had little kids and you know working with their grandpas they had um, women finding their space, I guess. Um, but most, I think most importantly, the men felt that they, the men that were part of the men's shed, felt that they could give something too um, through this process. So I was really honoured actually to be able to work in that space. And then we had the lacrimatory outside there as well, you know, in between. They wanted to, had, uh, had um, 
some mental health speakers come and uh, just share um, some access places that they could, people could come to if they needed and the tools were given to them as a gift at the end. So, you know, it had a really, really positive impact on lots of areas, I think. Yeah. So from your work across all of these projects, uh, you've been inspired to embark on your Masters in Therapeutic Arts mm. practice. Can you tell us a, bit, a little bit about that and where you've got so far in that mm. next little journey and why you thought it was important to bring that kind of... Uh, new learning into your mm. space, into your practice? Well, I think it came about, um, I think uh, intuitively I, I seem to do a lot of it anyway. So I was sort of doing things in the community and with other people, but I really want to be informed and I wanted to be informed um, academically as well. I didn't want to go back to graphic design. I didn't want to be on the computer again. I didn't want to be... Um, restricted so and it occurred to me that I could actually have a career in in doing this uh, and that's art therapy and um, I didn't actually understand what art therapy was <laughs> so I wanted to first of all understand what art therapy was um, and serendipitously some people in my social circle had already done um, particular course through MICAT the Melbourne Institute of Experiential Creative Arts Therapies and the word experiential just was like a jumped out at me. I said, oh, if I'm going to do anything, any study, I need to be immersed in it. Um, I can't just be having my head in a book. What do you think it is about the arts specifically that pro- provides access to the kind of experiences and processes that you see that are part of well-being or part of grieving or, or part of a sort of social connection, what do you think it is that we bring to that space, either at an individual or collective level? I think no matter how creative one thinks they are, and a lot of people say, oh, I couldn't draw something for, for the life of me, there is inherently something in us that needs to express. And whether it's just moving your body you know, art is really just a connection of movement in your body. If you think about drawing, you know, your body is just moving and it's just making marks. If you think about making a sculpture or a pot out of clay, it's just your body expressing what it needs to express. Um, and sometimes it's a beautiful thing that comes out. Sometimes it's not. It doesn't matter. It's the expression that's important. And um, you think of an instrument being played, once again, it's just movement of body um, for your body to get connected with the space in your spirit, I would call it. Um, whether you're spiritual or not, I would say it's a, a piece of it. It's your soul, it's your spirit. It's the part of your body that you often don't connect with. Um, it's it's the same part of your body that when you can sit still and um, visualise something or just um, breathe. It's the, when you get anxious. It's like I am here. I am here. I'm I'm alive. And so it's a it's a connecting with the aliveness of yourself. Um, and often in that state of disaster or grief or um, anxiety, we lose con- total connection with who we are. Um, so to ground yourself, you know, is probably the first step. And 
the thing with arts is that, wow, there's an outcome. You can actually look at, you can see it, you can feel it, and you can share it with other people. Um, and that will resonate with other people. And that, that, that um, beautiful dance continues. You know, pass the baton on to the next person. And um, what a gift to be able to do that. Mm, beautiful. Mm. It's the, often when we talk about people like uh, arts workers or creative recovery workers, uh, it's been um, come up in our a previous podcast, that idea of being a choreographer, mm. that the role of the creative is to come in and work and be the choreographer as, of people's experience and capacity to engage with each other, mm. build relationships. Mm. How much better are we for, for actually connecting with each other instead of going it alone? Mm. Well, we never are, really, are we? <laughs> I think that refers back to what you're saying at the beginning, you know, that we can, if we give over and open opportunities for people to support or to help or to connect or offer, so much more richness comes out of it mm. for everyone. Mm, for sure. Mm. Oh, the woman fuzzies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa. It's been a lovely uh, conversation hearing a bit more about your work. Or what, what do you see as being next steps for these pieces or for yourself really I mean the connection of your studies moving forward opens new yeah opportunities yeah still still asking what direction um I just keep on putting my hand up to say do you need help um not to the point of rescuing but to more just say here's what I have to offer so just going to be working on something this week with um community with teens and mirroring their work we're going to be doing a mural on a clear perspex and i'm on one side and they're on the other and just watching and then mirroring their movements just to help them realize that they're seen in terms of the lacrimatory and the tears oh gosh it would be lovely to have have them installed somewhere permanently i think it's doing it in an injustice than being in my um my workspace and all boxed up touring again or touring more um, Maybe we can work. Yeah, I think I, I I need to listen also to what's real, and I have got three children that need me, so mm. um, that's why community is so important for someone else to say, "Hey, can we take this up?" You know, um, I'm happy to let go of my baby. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone's out there would like to have um, all these beautiful tears installed on their ceiling in a place that needs uh, needs that hope, um, please contact Scotia. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a beautiful offer. Thanks, Melissa. And we wish you really well for the rest of your studies and looking forward to seeing what other projects that evolve in the future. Um, I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to be, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so, if people would like to engage with you, where, where might they find you? Um, my website, melissalubke.com, um, and Facebook. I also run creative retreats, so in Monceston. So if you want to come down for that, and um, yeah, pretty much that's the best way to contact me. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Melissa, for joining with me today, spending a bit of time. Thank you, Scotia. It's been an honour. Thanks for joining me for Creative Responders in Conversation, and a special thanks to Melissa for taking the time to share her story with us today. We'll include links in the show notes to Melissa's work and you can also check out our Instagram and Facebook for images of the projects we've discussed. 
All of our episodes and transcripts for each one can be accessed at our website, creativerecovery.net.au. This podcast is produced by me, Skosha Monkovich, and my Creative Recovery Network colleague, Jill Robson. Our sound engineer is Glenn Morrow, and original music is composed by Mike Squire. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>